Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So if you're thinking about entering the chili cook-off, um, just know this, that the, the person that, that was one of the judges that, that sabotaged my three-peat, um, I'm doing her wedding. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. We're not, we're not quite sure how that's going to go, but we'll, we'll, it kind of probably depend on what happens at the chili cook-off next weekend. We'll, we'll sit. No, I'm just kidding. Man, would it be sad if that was the case? Like, if it, whoa, this dude's super serious. Now, it's such a great time of coming out, and, and uh, the first time I won, I was vegetarian, and I made an all-meat chili. So, there you go. James chapter 1, if, you're, uh, if you have a Bible, James chapter 1 this morning, and uh, find ourselves here in the book of James. We started a new sermon series last week. I'm calling Everyday Living, book of James, verse by verse. I'm just going to give you a quick recap uh, of what we've gone over so far. The book of James is considered by many as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's, it's full of practical wisdom for everyday living. Most scholars believe that it was written by James the Just, who's also known as Old Camel Knees, as we, we talked about last week because of his prayer life. He also happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. So that is the one that's writing this letter. James's letter is considered an epistle because it's instructive and exhortive. So if you're applying inductive principles, then you need to apply it for that style of writing. Uh, James is writing to Jewish believers who have been dispersed. So they're spread out all over the Gentile uh, world. James is writing to them to encourage them to, to walk in the faith, continue to practice the things that Jesus taught in all. He, it was written around 50 AD, making it one of the first, probably the first book of the New Testament to be written. So this gives you a little bit of information about what, what it's, uh, what, about some of the practical side of James that just introduction wise. Now, James writes in kind of some specific topics. First and foremost, we're going to talk about trials and tribulations. That's where we are currently for the next couple of weeks. Uh, trials today and last week, temptation next week. Faith and works, we'll talk about that. Taming the tongue, wisdom and worldliness, and patience and prayer. These are the main topics of this book. In the first eight verses, we learned where our trials come from. We talked about how all things come from God, even trials. And so God is in control of the things that come into our lives. What the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. That's why we can quote that verse. We can quote the verse in Romans 8, 28, that God works everything out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, only because God is in control. And he's in control of the things that we encounter in our lives, even in a fallen world. God doesn't necessarily orchestrate everything that we go through. He does allow things uh, you know, as well. So uh, that is the where our trials come from. Then we uh, considered the why, uh, the why of why we go through trials. And James tells us it's, to, um, it's that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The, the trials are meant to produce maturity in us. They're to test our faith so that we know where we are. And as we understand where we are, then we can grow in specific areas in our faith. If the Lord never shows us where we are, guess what? We won't grow. And so the Lord is faithful to show us 
where we are in our faith. Does God need to know where we are in our faith? No. We need to know where we're at with the Lord. And so God will show us that through our trials. Um, we, we also talked about what we ought to seek during trials. And, and at the end of the, those verses and verses specifically like verse 8 there, um, James talks about, verse 7 and 8, he talks about the need for wisdom. That as we're, we need wisdom to walk through trials in a godly way. We need the Lord's help uh, to walk through these uh, trials. And so we need his wisdom. And we get his wisdom by simply asking the Lord. We have to do anything is simply just come to the Lord and ask him, listen, by faith. That's crucial to what James is saying here because he says, if you ask doubting, then you're like a double-minded man. You know, somebody who is, who is saying in one, one side of their mouth, Lord, will you do this? But at the sec- on the other side of their mouth, they're saying, I don't believe you're going to do this. That's what he's talking about, to be double-minded. We're to come to the Lord in faith, trusting, expecting, and letting the Lord do whatever he wants to do. But we're, we're to ask by faith. And we know that we're going to get wisdom because wisdom is God's will for our life. Like, it, wouldn't it be crazy for us to ask God for wisdom? He's like, yeah, I'm not going to give you that. I don't think you need any wisdom. Trust me. He knows you need wisdom. He's like, man, I better give you a double portion of wisdom, right? Wisdom is applied knowledge. The world stops at knowledge. Seek knowledge. Oh, yeah, get all the knowledge you can, and people can regurgitate all kinds of information, but it rarely translates in their life because that takes wisdom. So we're, we're a step beyond knowledge. We're asking for wisdom. God, how do I apply your word in my life. We need the Holy Spirit wisdom in order to do that. So we come to the Lord, we ask him for those things, and he'll guide us through it, which leads us to uh, the final thing, which is really the very first part of that portion of scripture, how we're to respond to trials. We're to consider it pure joy when we enter these various trials. Now, you're not going to consider it pure joy entering these trials unless you understand everything else I just said. If you understand everything else I just said, that God is, God is ultimately the source, that he's allowed it in my life for my good, that he's doing something through it, that you know, it's meant to test my faith, it's meant to perfect me, complete me, that I lack nothing, it's going to produce some kind of Christ-likeness in my life, then I can get on board with that. I can understand that trial. And then I can ask God to give me the wisdom to walk in joy in my trials. But I can't do that unless I understand these things. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, I don't know how long it's taken you to come to that realization that, man, God is, means trials for our good. He's doing something significant in our, in our lives. And, and maybe you've never come to that conclusion. I hope you do today. I hope you come to the conclusion to know that God isn't trying uh, to press you under his thumb. He's trying to rise you up. God's trying to blow life in you. He's trying to, see, trying to get you to understand that there is a greater life for you. Even in the midst of suffering, you can be far more at peace. You can have far more comfort from the Lord if you do it in his way. If you surrender to him. If you're living uh, with, a specific, with, with a specific perspective. And that's what, we, what we're going to talk about today. We have to keep eternity in mind when we encounter these various trials. Perspective matters. How you view something matters in how you walk through something. 
So if you understand the purpose behind it, then you'll walk through it differently. But if you think all this is random, and you think there's no purpose in suffering and there's no purpose in pain or any of that, then you will not suffer well. You won't get the point. And you'll stay right where you are and you'll miss what the Lord has for you. He has something significant through our pain. And, and he is trying to complete us, perfect us, that we might lack nothing, that we would walk in joy. But we have to have an eternal mindset in order to do that. Uh, we're going to read James chapter 1, beginning in verses 9 through, through 12 this morning. This is our text. Now, James is going to tell us to keep an eternal mindset. Will you stand with me? James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. We read, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its, flowers, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask you, Lord, to just help us to gain understanding through this section of scripture today. Pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us, Lord, to help us to understand the, the importance of maintaining an eternal perspective in all things. To know that the things that we face are temporary. There's a limit. They can only go so far and then, and then eternity will start. And so we ask you to just quicken our hearts, Lord, to help us to understand these things. And would you change our perspective if we need that this morning? We ask you to meet our needs. We ask you to uh, touch bodies and heal this morning. We ask you to do the work that only you can do. We trust you in our midst. We come with an expectancy we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So during the third and fourth centuries, many Christians were uh, imprisoned in Rome, including one specific aged saint. He spent many years in a dark and gloomy dungeon bound by a great ball and chain. Uh, when Emperor Constantine ascended to the throne, Many Christians were released from imprisonment, and, and amongst them was this old man. Desiring to compensate him for uh, the many years of his misery, the emperor commanded that the ball and the chain be weighed, and that the old man be given the equivalent in gold. The greater the weight of his chain, the greater was his reward. Paul essentially says the exact same thing as it relates to our trials in this life and the reward that waits for us on the other side of this life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul, prior to, to the, getting to this place, he speaks about all these different difficulties that he's faced. He's perplexed, you know, he's been beaten down, uh, all these kinds of things, and yet he comes to... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, so we do not lose heart. Even though we've gone through all kinds of difficulties, all the things that we have experienced, all the suffering, all the pain, all of that, we do not lose heart, 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There is purpose in everything that I've experienced. God is doing something. He's renewing me day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is telling the church in Corinth that they don't lose hope because their perspective, but he's also encouraging us also not to lose hope. We, collectively, the church, followers of Jesus Christ, we do not lose hope in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, or anything like that. Why? Because we have understanding that God is in the midst of it, doing something significant in our lives that will materialize in eternity. So we understand it's bigger than the horizontal. It's bigger than the little sliver of life that we have that's 70 years old or whatever it is, the average age for a human being uh, this day and age, 70-some years old, that there's something far greater than that and that God is in the midst of this little sliver of life doing something that will last forever in our lives through our suffering and such. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he spoke there in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Listen to this. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice what Jesus says here. Rejoice and be glad. In what? In your persecution and the things that you're suffering, the suffering that you're experiencing in this life. Why would I do that? Why in the world would I do that, Jesus? Jesus flips uh, the perspective and helps us to understand because this translates into eternity. He says, for your reward is great in heaven. What he's saying is just like Constantine and weighing the chain and the ball, and saying, hey, give that person the weight in gold, which is the earthly valuable thing that people would seek, God says there's an equivalent that you'll get, that reward that you'll get in heaven as a result of the heaviness of your chain and your ball, um, and it will last, listen, forever. Not just temporary. The, The man that got the gold guess what? He still, he still died and he perished. He only got to experience that for a moment in his life on earth. You and I, this rolls past this life into eternity forever and ever. And so it would be a horrible decision for us then to invest so much of ourselves and so much of everything that we are in this world would be a horrible investment for us to put all our eggs in the basket on the horizontal and say, that's what I'm living for. Because it's temporary. It doesn't roll past this life. You get to experience whatever it is that you get to experience, as great as it might be, for a limited amount of time, and that's it. Jesus is saying, there's so much more for you, but you may have to sacrifice a little on this side of heaven in order to gain uh, the, the reward in uh, eternity. That's why he goes on to say that. 
where we're to store our treasures up, Matthew chapter 6. Again, the same Sermon on the Mount Jesus says in Matthew 6, 20 and 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. This is eternal stuff. Nothing can, can destroy this from you. Nothing can take this from you. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not only does it roll past this life, um, but it also determines like where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It determines how we walk in this life, the perspective that we're living in. So if we're only looking at the horizontal, guess what? Our heart's going to be focused on the horizontal. It's going to be focused in this temporary world on temporary things that will never bring you satisfaction. But if we do what Jesus says and we, we keep an eternal mindset, we get our eyes on eternity and we may suffer a little bit here, there's great reward for us there and that lasts forever. You know, that is the right kind of investment, folks. I don't know uh, what your uh, portfolio manager would tell you, but I promise you he'd tell you to take the thing that, that yields the most return for the longest period of time. That's his job. His job is just to instruct you on, on how to invest your money in the, 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 the safest asset that will bring you the most return for the longest period of time. And Jesus is saying, I can tell you right off the cuff what that is, eternity. Focus on eternity. That's where your treasure should be stored. You should be investing in eternity. How do we do that? We live for the kingdom of God in the here and now. We live for the kingdom of God in the here and now. That's what James wants us to understand in these uh, couple verses that we're going to go over this morning that we need to keep eternity in mind. And he's going to use a couple examples that are so relevant to every person in every culture and every time period. He, we're going to talk about the poor and the rich. And then we're going to talk about the blessed and the rewarded. So first and foremost, um, James talks to us about the poor and the rich uh, here in verse 9. He said, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and it, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Perhaps one of the most distracting uh, things in our lives that takes our eyes off of eternity and gets our eyes on the temporal is our finances. Our finances. The, the, because this is something that directly impacts our daily life, right? Our finances directly impact us on a daily basis. I, I, I've never been to go in, able to go into a store and see something I like and not have the money for it, and they just say, no, go ahead, you can have it. You know, uh, uh, they, they, they uh, <laughs> I've done that when I was younger. They didn't know about it, but that's beside the point. But, but here's the reality is that we, it, we need money, we need finances in this world to get, get along. We need to pay our bills. We have, we have to buy food and all these sorts of things. It's, it's a very common thing. And that's why it's such an easy thing for the enemy to use to distract us and get our eyes so focused on the temporal and to take our eyes off the eternal. Because I can enjoy the prosperity of my work 
in the moment, in the here and now, very quickly. And we live in that kind of a culture where we want it now, want it fast, and we want it now. Right? And so our, our, our finances, if I can get enough finances, I can enjoy all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people make that their pursuit. For the poor, one of their greatest distractions is trying to acquire more wealth so that they can experience more things. For the rich, it's the direct opposite. It's that they have enough wealth to experience such things, so they're distracted in experiencing the things and not experiencing, uh, not focusing on eternity. They're both in the same place, you see? They both are, are pursuing the wrong thing. They're pursuing the earthly thing rather than investing in heaven, storing up the treasures in heaven. Uh, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, pursuing the wealth of this world is a dangerous proposition as it takes your eyes off of eternity and gets them focused on a temporal pursuits. Again, that, that would be a poor use of your time on both sides of the coin. I, I've never, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I've never been to a, a viewing in a funeral where I see people stuffing wads of cash in the deceased person's body, you know, like they're just stuffing wads of cash in there. Why would they do that? Because you can't take that with you, right? That'd be ridiculous. People don't do that. Yet guess what? Your material possessions don't translate into eternity either. It doesn't matter how much you have. You know, it's the old saying that he who has the most toys still dies, right? I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the burial spot to say, look at all the stuff this guy has. Man, he's going to be so blessed in heaven, you know. Never. That's not the way it works. Naked you came into this world, and naked you will go out. Not a single thing that you possess in this world is going to translate into eternity materialistically. None of that. The only thing that's going to matter at the end of the day is what you did with Jesus. The only thing that's going to matter at the end of the day is, you know, did you live for the Lord? Did you know the Lord? And, and these sorts of things. It's because we're, in, uh, we're living out a, a spiritual reality in a physical world. And, that will, and it's temporary. It would be better, for, better use for our time to be focused on that. To be focused on the next life. To be investing in the future and these sorts of things it yields a, 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 an eternal dividend. And that's what James is telling these lowly brothers, these poor brothers in Christ, these poor Jewish believers who dispersed all over the place. He says, boast in your exaltation. Boast in your exaltation. What, he, what he's saying is that don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do. And what you do have here on earth, currently, presently, uh, you know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, is you have all the riches of eternity, of the kingdom of God waiting for you. So why would you settle for them here? Why would you pursue them here? James is not telling these believers who are poor to go out and pursue wealth. He's telling them to, to keep their eyes on eternity. He's telling them to invest in the future. He's telling them, your exaltation is coming. Just hold on a little bit longer. Because guess what? This life goes like that. And once it's over, eternity starts. And, and guess what? It never ends, does it? And man, 
the riches that you have in Christ. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the, all the riches in Christ are yours because you're an heir of the throne of grace. And so, does it really matter positionally where you are in the economic scale in this world? Because as far as God is concerned, you are rich. And we have to use that term also, by the way, pretty loosely in our culture, the word poor. You know, we're the richest country in the world. And, uh, you know, most of the world is, would be totally satisfied with the poorest uh, <laughs> economic scale here in our country. You know, it's a totally different. I don't know if you've ever gone to a third world country and you've seen what poor really looks like. Like, poor is not having an iPhone 7. Like, that's not poor. Like, poor is feeding your kids dirt so that the, the pain in their stomachs goes away because they're so hungry. That's poor. That's, that's poor. And, and James is talking to people like that. James is talking to believers who may have come to Christ and they were poor and they were just, you know, as a result, uh, you know, of coming to Christ, that's kept them in that economic scale. Maybe they've had great wealth and great riches and because they became a Christian, now they ha are experiencing a, a massive economic downturn. We see that happen and, and, and from the beginning, in the book of Acts, we see how that starts to begin as rich, some of the rich begin to sell their things and pool their money to take care of the poor people. That works for a period of time. And then Paul is, for the rest of his ministry, is going around taking, uh, you know, raising offerings for the, the brothers in Jerusalem so that they can, they can have some food to eat and such. Because they're poor. You know, that really, when it really started was at the hand of a man named Saul. Remember? Who became the apostle Paul? It was by his persecution of the believers that uh, if people did have any financial stability in, and they lived in that area, they fled and probably left every single ounce of their belongings. Their land and all that was just taken when they fled from the persecution of the hand of Saul. Saul was killing Christians. He was imprisoning Christians and, and all this kind of stuff, and people were running. They were dispersing from that. And maybe some of them are, are, are maybe those are the, some that Paul, uh, that James is talking to, some of that experience that. They're saying, oh man, but you don't know what I had here. I had all these great things. Whoop-dee-doo. Because guess what? You can't take it with you. And I know it's tough where you're at. I know you're a lowly brother. I know that you don't have a lot of sustenance, but God will provide. God will care for you. He knows your trial. He says, don't focus on your lowliness, focus on your exaltation. And maybe that's a word for somebody here today, that the focus is so much on what you don't have that the Lord's saying, well, why don't you focus on what you do have? You have Christ, you have everything. You're not lacking in any way, right? I get that. It's the, it's the mentality of the glasses half empty or half full, 
You know, it's the Philippians 4.8 mentality that says, man, but I have all that I need in Christ. I'm going to meditate on all the good things that the Lord is doing in my life. I'm going to focus on those things. And guess what? I am going to endure like a good soldier through the, the other trials that I have in my life. I'm just going to work through them. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to wait on him. We shouldn't be seeking excess. And that's what he's saying here. Don't seek excess. Seek The Lord will provide for you. Just seek what you have. You have all that you need, so be content. Be content and trust the Lord. I didn't say be lazy. I said be content. There's a difference. I'll expound on that in a second. James goes on and he and he, he, he flips the script on the rich person and he says, oh, and the rich, they ought to boast in his humiliation. The lowly brother, boast in your exaltation. The rich brother, boast in your humiliation. It's interesting that he, he you know, there were many, many substantially wealthy people, Jewish believers still around when James was writing this. They think of Lydia from Philippi, super wealthy. You know, you think of Barnabas in Jerusalem, Joseph of Arimathea. These were very wealthy believers in this culture. And just because you were a believer didn't mean that you weren't wealthy. You could still be wealthy in this culture. It was harder. It was harder because of what the culture was uh, doing to Christians. But you could, you could still be a wealthy believer in this culture and... Um, you know, so that's who James is writing clearly to people who do have some wealth. Believers in Christ who are dispersed, who have maintained their wealth. And he's saying, don't boast in your wealth. Don't boast in what you have. You boast in what's coming for you too. You boast in what, what's coming for you too. And, and the focus of James's, uh, you know, exhortation to the rich here is their humiliation really primarily speaking about their death as James is just saying like hey you know uh, your humiliation is coming in other words everybody will be flat-footed at the cross everybody will stand before the Lord and uh, it, it won't matter uh, how many zeros you had in your bank account even if there's a big goose egg that's not even going to matter if you had a gazillion zeros in your bank account it matters not because God doesn't looking at that God is looking at, what, first and foremost, what did you do with my son? Is he your Lord? And then if, if he's not, depart from me, I didn't know you. But if, if you're, he's your Lord, then there's, then there's a different ceremony that will take place. We'll talk about it in a second. There is a humiliation coming for everybody. There is a, in, in a sense, uh, there, everybody dies. Everybody dies. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, you could send the message to the globalists. Hashtag, globalist going to die too. You can look that up on james.com there. It's a couple people don't know what that means. But anyway. So uh, listen to what he says, though. That's what he's talking about. Why? He says, uh, you know, the, the rich should, should boast in their exaltation. Like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. He will pass away. For some people, really their earthly problems are a lot smaller than a lot of other people's. 
in terms of they have the, the, if you have enough money in this world, you can deal with a lot of different things. You can get different medical help. Uh, you can, you know, you can live in different situation. You can have uh, maybe less stress possibly if you do it right. You know, money does put you in a different category, but in terms of passing away, everybody's in that category. And money's not going to buy you out of that situation. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, it, the flower falls and its beauty perishes. That's the natural progression of life in a fallen world. James is saying it, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The focus of James speaking to the, the, the rich person is, hey, what are you pursuing? What is your focus in life? What is the pursuit that you're on? Because, you, you know, if you're pursuing things that fade away, like flowers and grass that are temporary, and you're pursuing the temporary things, you're not going to, you're grasping at oil. It's not going to satisfy you, number one. It's going to fade away, too, and so will you. And that's, that's James's focus. He, he, he's saying you're trying, you're, you're, you're trying to solve a permanent problem with a temporary solution, you have a permanent problem. We all have a permanent problem when we start life, and that's that we are, we are separated from God. And no amount of wealth is going to help that. No amount of pursuance in this world and, and seeking the satisfactions of the material things in this world are going to satisfy that. It's a permanent, and it's a permanent problem until you come to Christ. You know, the, the permanent solution is Christ. He, he's the one we need. And, and to pursue anything else other than that, man, would, would be to pursue the wrong thing. And that's, uh, that's what he's saying here. Je Jesus said it like this in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 18, verses 24 and 25. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult for a wealth... Uh, for, a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Money's, money is, is just a material object. It, it doesn't possess any you know, moral goodness or badness. It's just, it's just, it just exists. We can take it and make it evil, or we can take it and make it good. It's what we do with it. But the, the reason why it's difficult for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God is because most of the needs that we have in the world can be taken care of with material wealth. So you don't think about the eternity. It takes your mind. It's a distraction. Deceit, it's this deceitfulness of the riches of this world that Jesus talked about in the parable of the sowers. It's deceitful. It makes people think that they're going to be able to be sustained through life, Forever and ever, and, and that is not the case. Solomon, who was 
one of the richest men to ever live in the world, who knows what he's talking about relating to this pursuit, he said it like this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will, be, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. How does he know? Because he tried it. How does, how does Solomon know? Because he pursued all of the things in the world and he found out that every one of them finds you wanting still. Nothing can satisfy you. There's nothing on earth that can do it. Only the Lord can do it. And so it would be silly to pursue that. Now, that isn't to say that God doesn't have a plan for people to prosper and to do all these kind, you know, to, 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 to gain, you know, earthly wealth. But if that is his plan for your life, then guess what? It should roll into the kingdom of God. It should be, there should be some eternal mindset with that. That it's not just for me to, to, to just, you know, live in health, wealth, and prosperity. It's, it's for kingdom purposes. God wants us to do something with it doesn't mean you can't be blessed and have things, you know. Hey, praise the Lord that he blesses us in those ways. We, all of us have, have lots of things, you know, that, we, that the Lord's blessed us with. And it's not wrong to have those things. But if that becomes the pursuit of our life, that's wrong. If that becomes the pursuit of, if that, if that is what we think is the end all be all in this life, we totally have the wrong perspective. That's a temporary perspective. We need eternal mindset. You know, I, I would ask you this morning, you can tell... You can tell uh, someone's perspective uh, by looking at the register of their checkbook. That's how you can tell where somebody's living, what they're living for. Am I living for myself? Am I living for what, you know, for the Lord? What am I doing? You can, eat, you can tell that. Here's what I'm saying is that God blesses. God blesses us, and, and he, but he should be our pursuance, not anything else. He should be the one that we're pursuing. And when it comes to, you know, those financial decisions that I have to make in my life, like, hey, I get a job, you know, I got a, I got a job offer that I'm going to make, you know, 30000 more a year. Well, great, but is that the Lord's will for your life? Is that what God is asking you to do? Is he just like, man, take the job, it's thirty grand more. Come on. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's thinking. I think he's thinking like, does that put you? where I want you to accomplish the things that I've designed you to accomplish? I think that's what God's thinking. I think God is thinking like, does that fit into my plan or not? He knows. But I think, I think it behooves us to, to, to go to the Lord and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I've seen, there's a couple things that I see wreck Christians' lives. Jobs and relationships. Anytime a single person becomes a becomes a Christian, there's always that moment where they're going to either choose to make that person their idol or they're going to serve the Lord and continue to, you know, and, and, and allow, you know, the two to come together as one and allow the Lord to be the center. It's always the danger of someone going from a single life to, uh, to a married life, and it happens. And more times than not, I've seen it wreck people's lives spiritually. Am I saying don't be in a relationship? No, not at all. I'm just saying know what you're getting into and keep Jesus the focus. Keep him the center. The same thing with our finances, our jobs. You know, when, 
when we're, we're here and we're trying to subdue the land and we're trying to get ahead and all these kind of things, climb the corporate ladder, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, when, when the offer comes, generally speaking, when, when somebody offers you more money, uh, it, the expectation goes up. You know what I mean? So, in other words, it's like, oh, it's great. I make 30000 more a year, but, you know, I only have to travel 200 uh, days out of the year, and, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I have to work on Sundays and all these kind of things. It's like, oh, so it takes you away from your family, all your relationships with your friends, and, and, and the, the community of God's people and all that kind of stuff. So th- that's good for you? Is that good for you? That, these are the kind of things. This is, this is what it means to be eternally focused. How is that going to contribute to eternity? How's that going to help me as a believer in accomplishing God's purpose for my life? This is what James is, is instructing uh, the, the poor and the rich here to do. Keep an eternal focus. When I came to Christ, I laid my life down and I said, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do with, my, with, whatever you want to do with the life you created is now completely and totally to your at your disposal. Is that what it means to, to have Jesus as your Lord? Yes, is, that's what it means. Now, the Lord allows us to navigate in life. And he allows us to make choices. You know, and, and these kinds of things. But ultimately, if we're walking with him, we're going we're gonna to be exactly where he wants us to be. So that's what James is saying. If you keep an eternal focus, that's keeping your eyes on the Lord, ultimately... You're going to be exactly where you're supposed to be, doing the things that you're supposed to do uh, on the pursuit that God has for you. It's that simple. What is your perspective? James goes on to talk about the blessed and the rewarded, those who, who do have the eternal mindset. In verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This reminds me of the Beatitudes of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. The, the eight Beatitudes, blessed is the, the person, you know. The word blessed, the loose translation, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy is the one. And Jesus goes on to define it in various different ways. It carries the idea of inner joy and satisfaction. Strong's Greek Dictionary uh, defines it as the state of being marked by the fullness of God. Blessed. The state of being marked by the fullness of God. James is telling us uh, the person who remains steadfast under trial is blessed. This is a continuation of really verse 2. You know, he talks about, you know, consider it pure joy when you encounter these various trials. Then he transitions into this verse and he says, uh, you know, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trials. That's the earthly reward for the heavenly mindset of the one who endures. Blessedness. Blessedness only is only produced, listen, through steadfastness. You're, you produce the blessedness that, God is, that James is talking about here through being steadfast, meaning enduring, being patient in the midst of my trials, trusting God and knowing that he's at work uh, to do whatever and being willing to navigate as he as he instructs you using the wisdom that you ask God to help you walk through the trials that you're going through. And, and so it, that is the, 
that is the earthly reward for those who are heavenly mind. minded is they, they are in a state of blessedness. And it's through perseverance. And it's through endurance. And, and it, listen, if there is an easy way out of your trial, if there is, I don't know that there is, but if there is, sometimes uh, I think, you know, we talk about getting in God's way sometimes in people's lives where we jump in and rescue somebody out of something that maybe the Lord didn't call you to rescue them out of. And so now you've gotten in the way of God. If there's an easy way out of God's trial, don't take the easy way. Don't take the easy way just because it's the easy way. Pray to the Lord. Ask the Lord, hey, is this what you would have for me, Lord? That's what I want. I want God's will done in my life. He says, not only are you going to be blessed, but check this out. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So there's a crown awaiting those who endure the trials of this life. It's not the diadem crown. This isn't talking about the royalty crown. It's talking about the Stephanos crown, which is a victor's crown. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. You know, back in this culture, they had the Olympic Games. The Greeks would, would have these Olympic Games and whatnot. And they, um, the winners of those games would be given a perishable wreath. Like for a couple days, they, the wreath would, would be preserved enough and last. But it's perishable. It's going to fall apart. You know, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. They work super hard. They endure all kinds of difficulties so that they can get themselves in a position so that they can get a, a wreath that's temporal. Paul says, but we, we, an imperishable, and he's speaking about the Stephanos crown that we get through Christ, it's imperishable. It doesn't fall apart. Why would you focus on the wreath that falls apart when you can have the crown of life that comes through steadfastness through trials? You might recall the words of Jesus to the persecuted church in Smyrna. He said in Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that they may be tested for the 10 days you will for for 10 days you will have tribulation but be faithful unto death and I will give you what the crown of life be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life James is promising the same crown here in in Revelation 2:10 and also here in our text this morning it's the crown of life who gets the crown of life it would be it would be a works based thing to say that it's only through those who remain steadfast in Christ. That would be workspace. That would be to say that you can obtain the crown of life, which is speaking about eternal life, through works. True or false? It's not a trick question. True or false? False. You cannot work your way to God. That's not what James is saying. James isn't saying, oh yeah, you can get the crown of life by just working your way to God. No, that's not what he's saying. Notice he goes on to, to say uh, that that was promised to those who loved the Lord. You know, it's promised to those who love the Lord. What, what James is trying to help us understand is that if you love the Lord, you will endure trials. You will do these things. 
And we're going to see this throughout the book of James, that James is not giving us a means of salvation, but he's showing us the evidence of our salvation and the way that we live our life. You know, watered-down Christianity says, oh, you know, as long as you say a prayer, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, how you live and all these kind of things. Here's the thing is, salvation is by grace alone, through Christ, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Nothing we've done. If you genuinely have a true conversion, you've been born again, all the old things have passed away, you become new, your life's going to be different. I didn't say perfect. I said your life's going to be different. And there should be some mindset of pursuance of Christ. Like if my idea of, of, culture, of, of, this, of Christianity in the modern day is just going to church and reading the Bible every once in a while, I totally miss the point. I totally miss the point. The, the, the concept of the true gospel is conversion, people being born again to a living hope that they then would go out and tell other people about it because it's transformed their life to such a degree. It's not about being perfect or anything like that, but if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, everything's become new. Right? Something's gone on in my life. How do we get the crown of life? The crown of life is through Jesus and Jesus alone for those who love the Lord. Those who love the Lord Jesus, who have crowned Jesus Lord of their life. You, when you do that, you love Jesus. Nobody does that and says, I, I, I don't really love Jesus, but I'll, I'll make him my Lord. Right? You love Jesus, you make him your Lord. Who put that love in you? The Lord did. God put that in us so that we could love him. And because we love him, then we remain steadfast through our trials. I mean, it's, these aren't my words. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why, why you know, he, he's saying, like, like, if you genuinely love me, just try and walk according to my word. Do, do what I say. You know, he tells us to go into all the world and, and make disciples. Listen, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Like, like we're called to walk in the grace of God, through faith in Christ, in the obedience of Jesus Christ, to do, to do his, his bidding in this world. And when we do that, the, the crown of life, it's the crown of life as a result of grace through faith in Christ alone. And a genuine and true believer will do that. There's a crown of life waiting for those who love the Lord, and those who love the Lord are gonna remain steadfast during trial. And the only way we're going to do that is if we keep eternity in mind. We're not going to do that if we are focused on the horizontal, if we're only focused on what we can get in this life. And I promise you, when you get to heaven, you're not going to go, dang it, I wish I would have lived more for the temporal while I was there. I wish I would have just invested a little bit more in some of those material things that never translate into eternity. Nobody's going to say that. I don't think we're going to have regrets. I think you're going to be 100% content in heaven. I don't think you're going to be also, I don't think you're going to be going, man, what a, what, why didn't I invest more? Because when you enter into your rest in heaven, it's 100% contentment in him. But you have an opportunity right now. God is saying, listen, you have an opportunity to have an eternal focus, 
to invest in the future, to invest in things that roll past this life into eternity. And the ball's in your court. And God said, I, I've created good works for you to walk in. Uh, I've given you faith to, to, um, to, to remain steadfast through the trials and the different things. All you got to do is, is be, all you got to do is partner with me and walk in obedience with me and, and you'll do fine. The problem is we get in the way. We get in the way. Our temporary desires get in the way. So the Lord wants us to know this morning, hey, focus on eternity. Focus on eternity. I'm going to end with a C.S. Lewis quote. He said, if you, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the per, pre, present world are precisely those who thought most of the next. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for just the reminder to keep eternity in the focus. Lord, we, we, we know that everybody in this room is in different places and different trials that we face, and um, you know whether it's the economic trials that we have in our lives right now. God, it could be health trials. It could be uh, relational trials that we're dealing with, Lord. We, we, we all have various different things that we're, we're facing in life, but Lord, we have one solution. It doesn't matter what the problem is. The one solution is Jesus. The one solution is that we keep our eyes on you. And so we pray, Father, just for that, that just a faith from you would fall upon this upon each and every person in this place, that we could trust you through our trials, that we could endure and that we could remain patient and we could wait on you. And Father, that we would be willing to even forego different things in our lives that might look good for the temporary, but would take us off focus of, of the eternal. Will you give us wisdom relating to that, Lord? as we make decisions, Lord, that in our daily lives. We, we do pray, Father, that, uh, that you help each and every believer in this room, Lord, to just be encouraged this morning that all that we face in life rolls past this life into eternity. So help us to do it well. We ask you just for, for just uh, saving faith for some here today that maybe don't have a, a right relationship with you. God, it's by grace through faith in Christ that we obtain true life. And so we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that they can just turn away from their life and they can turn to you. And uh, they, can, they can become a true believer in you, be born again to a living hope. Because of you, Lord, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for us. There's a crown of righteousness that awaits each and every person that puts their faith in you, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, they just have to simply come to you and confess their sin, turn away from it, turn to you this morning, and just ask that you would cleanse them, Lord, of their sin, forgive them. They put their faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, crowning him Lord of their life in a simple prayer changes our eternal destination. So we thank you, Lord, for just putting it on our hearts this morning to, to be here. And now, Father, as we prepare and just celebrate newness of life and Jada Adkins, is, she's gonna come and be baptized, Lord, we pray that you bless that. We thank you for it, uh, for just what it stands for this morning, Lord. We pray you just encourage us through this now in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.